The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, goal! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And a very pleasant good evening, everyone. Welcome to the fifth season of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening, our weekly get-together, to sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And, of course, the Indians and the Reds just began spring training camp a week ago, and they are getting their spring training games under their belts as they look forward to the season opener on April 6th. But both teams made some moves during the offseason. The Indians with uh, gaining Brandon Moss to play right field and bat cleanup for them this year, and the Reds going out and getting Marlon Byrd and trading away Matt Latos, and we bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue from Down South, the movie producer and the writer of the, and author of the book, Last at Bat. Mark, glad to have you along this evening. Thanks for joining us again for the fifth consecutive year, and let me tell you something. The Reds made some great moves, but of course, the Matt Latos deal was probably the headliner. Addition by subtraction. Uh, he, he's a head case, and I think everybody in the Reds organization knew it. And I think the Reds came out, you know, really on top on that deal. But uh, Marlon Bird um, is the guy. Uh, Bird is the guy who I think was the big deal for the Reds, and I think he's going to add some real length to that lineup. And I, you know, it, it's hard to say this early in spring training where this team is offensively, but you figure it's got to be better than last year. And if they can maintain their pitching, who knows what can happen. Well, you know, Tom Hamilton, during one of the Reds-Indians games early last week, the Indians play-by-play announcer, made the comment that he felt that Reds' offense would take care of itself. Their question mark was in the starting rotation. What do you think about that? I think there's some truth to that in terms of what the Reds could be and if they can sign Johnny Cueto. I'm not sure we're going to see him in a Reds uniform by the end of spring training. Uh, honestly, I think they may decide that this is the time that he has most value. And depending on what happens with some of the young pitchers, it, you talk about a blockbuster deal. I, I think the Reds are in a great position to make a deal with the Dodgers. Uh, I think the Dodgers need an extra pitcher, and they can afford it. And they've got some real young studs that could really, really help the Reds. So um, I think Tom may be right in terms of you know what the Reds' rotation may be at the end of the year. But we can get into this Cueto situation later on. But uh, I'm not at all sure he's going to be our starting pitcher opening day. You know, you, you had made the comment, Mark, earlier this spring when you and I talked about the Reds and the Indians before we went on the air a couple of weeks ago that you saw Johnny Cueto and he really looked like he had put on the pounds and then I saw him pitch against the Indians last Thursday and boy are you correct he has really put on the weight 
Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't didn't want to make necessarily an accusation about it, but I saw him in infield practice, and honest to God, he looked like he had gained fifteen or twenty pounds. Uh, and it could have been, you know, guys wear a lot of sweatshirts and things down there. But if you saw it on TV the other day or today, even <coughs> whenever you saw him, um, maybe it, you know, maybe I was right. I don't know, but he certainly looked heavier than he he looked at the end of last year. Yeah, he definitely did, but another thing that I saw out of Cueto in that game against the Indians was he used a quick pitch a couple of times. Normally, his motion is like Louis Tiant, where he turns almost completely with his back-to-home plate out of his windup. And a couple of times against the Indians batters, I don't know if he was trying out something new. I've never seen him do this before. He didn't do that. He just came directly to home plate out of his out of his uh, stretch position and it it just caused the Indians batters fits in that game when he did that a couple of times. You know, he did that several times last year and I didn't know if that was something he was going to bring into his repertoire or not. Uh, he's very deceptive. Uh, I, I've heard guys say that Johnny Cueto hides the ball so well and, and it, the ball's on top of you so quick and people look at him He's not a tall guy. You know, he's only like 5'10". But he's very strong. And he throws the ball very hard. And with that changeup he's got and that, uh, that that breaking ball, he's tough to handle. And, you know, obviously I'd like to have the Reds sign him, but it just is not looking good right now that they're going to do it. Can they afford to do it? Of course not. They can't afford to do it. <laughs> Mathematically, it does not work into their budget. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So what would you do if you were the Reds? Well, the, the, the most important thing to do is to get back some prospects and maybe a, a second or a third line pitcher as far as their starting rotation is concerned. Because right now, when you look at the Reds, there's a big question mark as to who that number two pitcher is going to be. Is it going to be Latos? Is it going to be Homer Bailey? Homer Bailey finally threw yesterday and for, for all intents and purposes, came out of it feeling pretty well after his arm surgery last year, but he's still a question mark for the Reds this year. Then they've got DeScalfini, who pitched today for the Reds and uh, got beat up in three innings. You've got Singrani, who they thought was going to be a great addition to their starting rotation last year, but turned out he had some problems, but he's back trying to win a spot in the order. So what do you do? And, and you also... Uh, traded Simon from last year, and, and he was one of your most consistent starters. Well, I, I think you you obviously misstated when you said Latos. You, you met Mike Leake, uh, yes. a, a potential starter this year and, and number one starter. But, you know, Dave, he's, he does not have number one stuff, not even close to it. You need a Mike Leake in your fourth or fifth position, then you know you have a good rotation. What is the big question mark is going to be Homer Bailey. Can he come back from that uh, that flexor tendon injury and be effective before mid-May? Now, he might start before then, but is he going to be as good as he will be later on in the season? So a lot of question marks about the Reds pitching. And every time, every time you mention Chapman to me, I think, what the heck are the Reds doing? You have a Randy Johnson starting pitcher in your bullpen who last year pitched, what, 50 innings? Are you kidding me? And it's because he doesn't want to start? <laughs> I, I just don't understand that logic. 
and the idea that you cannot, people say, well, it's too late. He's now entrenched in the bullpen. No, that's that's not true. You're not entrenched in the bullpen. You could easily stretch him out. Where he could, if nothing else, he could become a six-inning pitcher. But that's six innings of throwing probably 97, 98 miles an hour every fastball. Well, here's my question to you, Mark. They threw him two innings today. He didn't give up a, a hit in those two innings. Do you think maybe they've got that in their mind, that they could conceivably do that? Because normally he doesn't throw two innings, even in spring. Well, I heard an interesting observation about that. And Price, Brian Price said, he said it last year, but I think this year, without the injury going into the season, that they're going to try and stretch him out to two or three innings sometimes. That you bring him in with two out in the seventh or something like that and let him finish the game. Uh, and that would be, I, I think, pretty smart because you, you, you know, the guy's a shutdown, shutdown pitcher for certainly one inning and, and possibly two or more. But you've got to get him into 75, 80 innings as a relief pitcher or you're not maximizing the value of probably the best arm in baseball. I watched him pitch last week against the Indians for two innings, Mark, and, and he was just amazing. I have never seen him look as good as he looked against the Indians last week. Well, I, <clears throat> I was down there, I don't know, half a dozen games last year. And I, in one game I was sitting behind, <clears throat> behind home plate. And honest to God, I don't know how anybody gets the bat on the ball. He was throwing his slider at 96. And regularly at 92, 93, a slider, a breaking ball. And then now he's developed this changeup, which is, it's like a wiffle ball. I mean, it's, he's throwing his changeup at probably 88, but it's diving away from a right hand hitter. And it's, it's virtually unhittable. And right now he is the most dominating pitcher in baseball. I don't care what anybody says. And did you see on MLB? They had him as the sixth best reliever in baseball. Who did they have the top five? Well, they had Kimbrell number one, and I forget who they had the rest of the way, but not to have Chapman either one or two is ridiculous. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed at that. That, that simply that, that is an amazing stat. You know, you, you brought up Brian Price just very quickly, Mark. In his first year as a manager, what do you think he learned? And do you think he'll be a better manager this year? Well, I think he learned, don't get your players hurt. Because, you know, that team certainly did not perform. And statistically, even without the injuries, if you have if you have Jay Bruce hitting two you're not going to win. I don't care how many games Joey Votto plays. And you have Zach Cozart hitting, what, two ten. You can't have those kinds of holes in your lineup and compete. And with Brandon down and, and Bruce down and Vado down, he had no chance. But this is the year he's going to have to pull it together as a manager. And by his own admission, he came in last year and really didn't know what to expect because you, you can't be a first-year manager and understand what it's like until you do it. But, you know, the, the, he signed a three-year contract. Um, if the Reds get off to a slow start this year, and they make some moves like trading Cueto, uh, you might see a new manager in Cincinnati by the end of this year. Wow. Who would you think would take his place? <clears throat> I think it'll be Jim Ruggleman. Uh, he's, he's on the roster. 
he has major league experience. He's he's managed some of these guys in the minors. And I'm not saying. I mean, I like Price. I I think he's a smart guy. He approaches it in an intellectual way, which I like. But you can't be in the position the Reds are, you know, two or three years in a row without making a change. You're going to lose too much attendance. And this team is on a, you know, economic uh, razor blade. They, if they don't draw close to two and a half million, uh, they're in trouble. Which means they can't keep a lot of the players that they have, including the pitching. Well, one player that they have gotten in trouble with, as far as the contract is concerned, is Joey Votto, and that's going to segue us into the Indians here in a moment. But right now. Joey Votto played his first game over the weekend, Mark. He went one for two from the plate in his first two at-bats, and he's anxious, really, to get this season underway, I would think. Well, he is, and and I don't blame him. And he's anxious to have questions about the game come to him rather than how is the knee. I mean, I can imagine being asked that a thousand times and getting a little old. So he wants to get it behind him. And ironically, as we were talking about earlier, Joey Votto played 160 games two years ago. So he, he has been durable when he's not injured. And when he's not injured, he's very productive. Uh, you have to define what you like about productivity on base percentage or batting average or RBIs. But by some standard, he's, he's very productive. And I would expect him to be back at full strength this year. And, you know, if Joey Votto doesn't hit 310 and drive in 90 to 100 runs and 25 or 30 home runs, it's going to be a bad year for him. And you made mention, Mark, about how Joey Votto is anxious just to end the questions about his health. And let's listen to exactly what Joey Votto had to say yesterday to the media. All of it was fine, and uh, I think that we're just about done with these sorts of questions. I'm so glad to be back and to play with the team and to just fit in and to focus on a winning 2015 season. Well, that's what Joey Votto, I think... He got so sick and tired of the way that everybody handled his situation towards the end of last year, and then it started out the first few days of training camp for the Reds that I think he really wanted to put an end to it. Well, the Reds last year, I think they made a stupid mistake because it put pressure on Votto. They kept saying, well, he's going to come back in September, and he's going to come back in the last two weeks, in the last week, and he might play the last weekend. Well, they knew better. They knew he wasn't going to play. It would be absolutely preposterous after his his rehab to risk an injury in the last couple of weeks of a season going nowhere. And I, you know, people kept saying, "Joey, you're going to play. You're going to play. You're going to play." And that wasn't his fault. That was the team's fault. And they should have never put him in that position. Well, and that segues us into the Indians, Mark, because the Indians have their own injuries to deal with. Most importantly, to Nick Swisher who's in the third year of a four-year contract with the Tribe, and he underwent knee surgery on both knees. Now, as you and I both know, I've never had surgery on my knee, but I, I have had problems with my knees in the past. I know you've you've mentioned somewhat of, of a little problem with your knees in the past. Now, just undergoing surgery, I can imagine, on one knee is bad enough, but both knees at the same time, that's got to even be worse. And he has not played in a spring training game as of yet, and Terry Francona talked about how the Indians are going to take their time with Swisher during the spring games. Every time something's introduced to him, it seems like the first day it takes him, you know, to, to, to do different movements, but then the next time he attacks a little bit more, which I think is probably the way most guys go. 
I mean, I don't know that anybody knows, himself included, you know, like, you know, he's got to clear hurdles and then he's got to repeat it and you got to see how he handles some of the, you know, the, the, the constant, you know, day-to-day stuff. And so, again, I, I, it would be great to have everybody out there, but I don't think it makes much sense to, to push a guy when he had both knees done. Let's let him feel good about himself. That was the reason he got him done. You know, Mark, this is our fifth year of doing this show, and every year we've made improvements. And now we can play clips that you can hear, and you can actually hold off to making a comment be- until the end of the clip that you hear. Isn't this a great situation? <laughs> Life is good. Fifth year, things change. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, Francona's right. Um, Swisher has got to take his time in coming back. Is he an integral part of this team? Emotionally, yes. Maybe physically, no. But as far as the Indians and the money that they've spent out on him, they have to take their time in bringing him back, I would think. Yes, but I've told you this for, for two years. I've not been a big fan of that signing. Uh, Swisher had a good year a couple of years ago. Not a great year, a good year. Uh, last year did not have a good year. I, I, I thought he was uh, really overvalued by the Indians. And in terms of what they have now on that roster, I think he becomes less value. It has less value. But because of the money they're paying him, he's the guy that's probably going to get the first shot at whatever position they deem appropriate for him. And with his knees, uh, where do you think he's going to play? I think he's going to be the Indians' full-time DH. Um, If he can come back and put together 20 homers and 60 to 70 RBIs, I, I think he would be successful because Moss will be the right fielder. Moss came back today after his hip surgery and in his second at bat in his first spring training game hit a home run, Mark, and he crushed it. He demolished this pitch and hit it way out in right center field. I had a chance to watch this game today, and it was nice being able to see it. But the problem with the Indians is they have so many left-handed hitters. Uh, who do you? I mean, right now you've got Michael Bourne, who's going to be the leadoff hitter. He's a left-handed hitter. You've got uh, Jason Kipnis, who's going to be the second hitter. He's a left-handed hitter. Michael Brantley's a left-handed hitter. They've been playing around with putting Jan Gomes in the second spot in the batting order, and he's a right-handed hitter. But how many catchers do you know, Mark? Full-time catchers that bat second in a major league team? I know. How about the guy from Milwaukee? Wasn't he hitting second? He's he's the only one. The only other one that I can think of, Mark, was Ted Simmons, who used to bat second for the Cardinals years ago until they moved him to third. Yeah, he was a he was a really underrated catcher, by the way. He was very good. Yeah. You know, last year I saw Gomes play for the first time, uh, you know, more than more than once, and I was really impressed with him. He he has got a incredibly quick bat, and you know you you. When you see a bat like that, the tendency is to think, well, where can we play him besides catcher that will sustain his health and his his ability to be around for a long time? Because most catchers don't swing a bat like that. And he, to me, he looked like a guy who could really be an all-star catcher. And he threw out another base runner today. He was, he was third in the major leagues, Mark, in throwing out runners percentage behind... Uh, Benji Molina was was the first one, obviously. He's one of the best catchers in baseball. And Russell Martin was the second one, believe it or not, who's now with Toronto. 
and Jan Gomes was third. I mean, it, it's an outstanding catcher that the Indians have, but so do the Reds. They've got an outstanding one in Devin Mazzarocco, and I think that's another thing that Brian Price is going to have to take care of. We'll get back to the Indians here in a second, but Mazzarocco's out with a slight concussion after taking foul tip off of the mask on Saturday. They've got to be careful with him because that's the type of injury, Mark, that could linger throughout the season, and you don't want that to happen to your cleanup hitter. Well, that's true. Now, what I saw today and heard today was that it's minor, that he should only miss a couple days and, and he'll be back. But uh, you're right. Those things become, uh, you know, it, it takes less of a blow to the head the second time to cause a concussion. And it gets easier every time you're hit. So that's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, can linger. But uh, when you look at what happened to Chapman last year to get hit in the head like he did, and suffer a minor concussion, and he came back pretty well, although he had to have surgery and all that. But I, I don't think Mesoraco is seriously hurt. I hope not. But he, he is one of the, the bright stars for the Reds. And if he and Frazier can repeat what they did last year, the Reds have a lot of guys who can hit a lot of home runs. Now, whether they'll do that again this year, I don't know. But I've noticed a different approach at the plate of Zach Kozart, too. I think he must have gotten really sick of all the bashing he took from so many people, including me, about how can you hit as poorly as he did for that long a period of time. Uh, he just had a horrible season last year and was completely overmatched. And you mentioned Mezzarocco, but, you know, two years ago, Mezzarocco was overmatched. And he, he, I don't know what they did with him. Did the light just come on? But, man, that guy last year, he was, a, he was a scary hitter there, particularly the first half of the season. At face value, Mark, do you think that this Reds team offensively can be better than last year's team? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, easily. Uh, now, how much better, I don't know, but it wouldn't take much to be better than that team last year. Uh, they, were, they were last in runs, I think last in runs scored in the, in the National League outside of uh, San Diego. Uh, so they they have to be better just by virtue of guys improving and health and all those things. Now, the question, which your announcer brought up, will that increase in offense be offset by a decrease in the in the quality of the starting pitching? I, I think that's the whole measure with the Reds is do they get enough pitching and does the offense come back enough to make them competitive? And when I say competitive, I'm talking maybe in the National League Central, I think you could win that Central Division this year with 86-87 wins. It's that tough. Well, and the Chicago Cubs have, they're probably the most improved team in the division, I would say. Yeah, I think they are, although <clears throat> I saw Lester pitch the other day, and he, to me, I never rated him as highly as obviously the Cubs and other teams do. I never did either. So I'm not not convinced in Wrigley Field he's going to be all that. Uh, we'll see. But coming into the National League, he's going to have his hands full. I think. Uh, you know, facing some of those 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 right hand hitters, especially in some of those small ball, ballparks <clears throat> like Milwaukee, Cincinnati, Chicago. There's a lot of band boxes that he's going to have to face. Philadelphia, uh, he didn't face that in the American League. No, he he absolutely did not. But 
You know, I, I want to take a look at the lineups here in just a second, but let's get back to the Indians for a very quick moment. Um, the two things that I think the Indians have to be concerned about this year, A, their starting rotation, and B, their defense. But their starting rotation right now, as compared to last year, Mark, is 100% better. If you look at last year, this team went into the season with Justin Masterson, Corey Kluber, and Zach McAllister as their top three pitchers. This year, you've got Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, and Trevor Bauer. By all means, this year's top three is better than last year's top three. But then you've got McAllister, Tomlin, Danny Salazar, TJ House, all battling for the fourth and fifth spots. Now, Chris Antonetti, when he signed Gavin Floyd to the two-year deal in December, promptly said that he was the number four pitcher in the starting rotation. Well, in case you missed it, Gavin Floyd will have an MRI on his elbow tomorrow. He's basically missed the last two years. This was another excellent signing by Chris Antonetti, trying to pull somebody off the the junk pile and bring them in and hope that he catches lightning in a bottle like he did two years ago with Scott Kazmir. And in this case, he's got Gavin Floyd, who underwent Tommy John surgery two years ago, broke his elbow a year ago, and now he's got elbow problems after the first week of training camp, and he's undergoing an MRI tomorrow. And for all intents and purposes, Mark, if it comes back and says that that ulnar nerve is damaged again, his career is, is over. Well, certainly, <clears throat> pardon me, his year is over for sure. And you, you rattled off some pretty big names there in the starting rotation and even, you know, the potential fifth and sixth starters. And I think that's what makes the Indians an intriguing pick this year because, you know, you, you look at their starting eight and they're good, but, you know, some of the names don't resonate as superstar players. But you look at their total 25-man roster, and it's as good as any team in baseball, in my opinion. Uh, they, they have some guys that are going to be riding the bench this year that could start for a lot of teams that aren't going to be starting for the Indians. And that's that's bad for them, but good for the team. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, you know, Josh Tomlin's got a sore right shoulder, but I think that's just normal wear and tear for a 30-year-old or early in, in training camp. Zach McAllister really pitched well out of the bullpen last year. I think that's going to be his spot. They've got it with T.J. House and Danny Salazar. Salazar's just got an outstanding arm. And House is the only left-hander, Mark, that they've got that they can put in this rotation. And I really don't care what a lot of people say. I think you've got to have what is called a crafty left-hander in your rotation in order to throw the, the other teams off in a series. What do you think? Well... Yes, I, I think if I had my choice, I'd like to have a left-hander, but I, I'm not so sure I want a crafty one. I, I'd like to have a guy come in throwing about 96 on the left side as opposed to the breaking ball pitcher like a, a Sean Marshall or somebody like that. I I, I just like that hard-throwing left-hander coming in and, and shutting down that, that left-hand hitter. But what's what's evolved over the last several years because of the, the, the change-up, a lot of right-handers are very, very effective at getting out left-hand hitters. It's the, you know, it's, it's the breaking pitch, uh, but it's coming from a right-hand pitcher, and it's breaking away from the left-hand hitter. And that has that has really been a, a, a change 
in the mechanics of right-hand pitchers, particularly out of the bullpen, that have made them so effective. So, yeah, the left-hander, left on, left-hander on left-hander, yeah, I like to see that, but I'd rather have a guy who can get out both left and righties. Well, another thing that the Indians need to be concerned about this spring is their defense. Very plain and simple. They were terrible defensively a year ago. They had 116 errors in 162 games, which made them last in Major League Baseball. That was five more than the next nearest club, which was Pittsburgh. But I really believe, Mark, that they've got their infield settled right now. They've got Carlos Santana at first base, where I think he's... Not an excellent first baseman and not an adequate first baseman, but I think he's a step above adequate and probably a step below excellent. He's not going to embarrass himself at first base. Lonnie Chisenhall, I think, has settled in to that third base position. And when you've got Ramirez or Lindor at short and now Kipnis back at second, I think that's going to settle down that infield defense, and it'll be a a lot better this season. Do you think Lindor is going to make the roster this year? You know, that was next on my list to talk about. Uh, he's played in three games this spring. He's had six at-bats and three hits. And I've seen him, Mark, I saw him against Billy Hamilton in the first game. Billy Hamilton hit a high chopper off home plate. Lindor came in, grabbed it barehanded, a la Omar Vizquel, and threw Hamilton out by a step. Not a half a step, a full step on a high chopper. This kid has got an arm. Defensively, as far as I can tell, he has always been major league ready. The question is, can he hit major league pitching? And that's what he's got to prove this spring. Do I think we're going to see him this year? Yes, especially if Ramirez at shortstop gets off to a slow start. Now, what's your feeling on that? You you mentioned if he hits. Okay, we have spring training. He's hitting 500 now. Let's pretend on April 5th, the last day of spring training, or April 4th, he's hitting 500. He's had 50 at-bats, and he's hitting 500. Do you bring him up? Do I have to worry about his arbitration hearing in the next four years, or do I actually bring him up based upon no. his talent? You, you bring him up because you think <laughs> the Indians are a better team with him than without him. I bring him up. I play the kid. I, I'd have played him last year. Do you start him or do you put him on the bench? No, I start him. If I'm bringing him up, he's going to play. Okay, I, then you and I agree. Uh, this stuff about waiting for arbitration is, well, I can't say what it is. It's bunk. It's bunk, okay. Uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. If, if Lind- Everybody knows Lindor can play. Uh, he can play defense, he can run. And he looks adequate at the plate. If he's your, if he's your future at shortstop, why would you send him back down? I, I don't understand the logic. And sometime I'd love to have a general manager explain that to us because it, it simply makes no sense that a guy who can help you win even one or two more games a year is, is sent down to the minors. Well, keep in mind, and I know a lot of people, like to, including me, like to compare him to Omar Vizquel. I, I'm caught in the habit of comparing him to Omar. But Omar, when he came to the major leagues, Mark, remember, was not a good hitter. He made himself a good hitter. A hitter good enough to accumulate 2,800 hits in the major leagues, which is the most of any full-time shortstop other than Cal Ripken. And when you look at the entire body of work 
of this Lindor kid, if he just comes in and plays shortstop and doesn't have to worry about hitting, he's going to win you at least three or four games with his glove. Yeah, I'd like to see the the, the war statistic, uh, you know, put onto defensive players and, and given more value because uh, it, whoever helps you win games, no matter how they do it, to me ought to be on your roster. The guys who help you win more games, and maybe they have a specialty speed. Maybe it's you know a guy who just steals bases, but if he can win you three or four games a year, that makes him a very valuable component to your roster. But the idea of sending him down again, we've been talking about this guy for what? Three years? Four years? Three years. Uh, you know, time is time is right, and and why not bring him up? How old is he? He's twenty years old or twenty one? He's twenty one years old. Okay. Yeah, twenty twenty one years old. Uh, I I think it's his time. I like Ramirez. I think Ramirez is a good utility man along with Mike Avilles. But when you look at this team. They need someone to shore up the defense at the shortstop position. Ramirez isn't bad, don't get me wrong. He's a good defensive shortstop, but he does not have the range and the arm to battle Lindor. Lindor's got the natural talent to play shortstop. Ramirez has got the head. He he is years ahead of himself as far as playing the mental game of baseball, knowing where to position himself and how to play particular grounders. Lindor has got the natural talent with the strong arm, the quickness, and everything else. He's got it. He's the whole ball of wax. Now, can he hit? If this kid comes up and hits 230 and and doesn't commit 10 errors at shortstop for you during the year, I think it's a successful move. Well, again, <clears throat> I guess it's philosophy, but I, I hope teams really don't look at this arbitration situation as, as a mechanism to make up the roster because, uh, again, I think you're, you're looking at how you make up your roster to win the most games. And I think the, the National League or the American League Central is, uh, I don't think it's as good as the National League Central, but it's a very good division, which means if you, if you can win 87, 88 games, you're likely going to be in the playoffs. Mark, getting back to the Reds and their opening day lineup the way it looks right now. It looks to me like they've only got three spots in the batting order that are solidified. Hamilton in the leadoff position, Mezzarocco at cleanup, and Cozart number eight. And whoever is pitching, I guess you could say four spots in the order, will be number nine. Am I correct in saying that and the rest of the spots in the order are pretty much up for grabs? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> now, the only game that Bado played um, yesterday... He was hitting number two, and he was hitting number two a lot last year, which is not something I'm necessarily against. Uh, I mean, you have Billy Hamilton at first base. He's going to be on second base a lot, which means Votto is going to have a lot of uh, RBI opportunities. To me, the, the key to the Reds lineup is what is going to happen with Jay Bruce. I think everybody else, I think you could put some numbers down and be in a range of their uh, productivity, uh, even with Frazier and Mezzarocco. They had breakout years last year, but you can figure Mezzarocco is going to hit between 22 and 28 home runs and probably driving 75, 85 runs. Same with Frazier. But Jay Bruce, if he hits 218 again, <clears throat> this team's lineup could be completely jury-rigged 
uh, by the end of the year. And you might have Bruce hitting as far down as seventh. But the question is, is Jay Bruce, have they figured him out that much? Or was he just the victim of one more injury that bit the Reds last year? And he's going to come back to what he was. And that, frankly, is... You know, a 250, 255 hitter that's going to hit you home runs and drive in 100 runs. That that ain't bad. But, you know, he has never emerged as that superstar that everybody had anticipated from Jay Bruce. And I I don't know who you can compare him to uh, in, in years past, but I'm sure the Indians have had guys who've come up and had huge potential, as everyone thought they were going to be the next coming and it, it never panned out. Joe Charbonneau. Yeah. Yeah. Good good recall. And I think of Reggie Sanders for the Reds. Guy was going to be the next Willie Mays. And, eh, he was all right. <clears throat> and if Bruce's career continues on the current arc, <clears throat> in 10 years people are going to say, yeah, he was all right. Pretty good player. Has, has Bruce been the victim, Mark, of not having anyone – capable to hit behind him and is constantly being thrown curveballs and balls in the dirt and going after them as far as him being at the plate? No, I, I think <laughs> what you just described is his the bane to his existence is the is the curveball and the dirt. Why would a pitcher throw him a strike? He, he swings. I've never seen a major league player swing at such bad pitches and then take pitches down the middle of the plate. It's it's baffling to me. People complain about Vado not being aggressive enough, but I'd rather see that. Bruce will swing at pitches. Honest to God, Dave, they hit a foot in front of the plate, or he swings, and they almost hit his foot, you know, his back foot. And he did it so many times last year. You, just, you want to scream and pull your hair out. How can a major league hitter swing at those pitches? Well, if you okay, so if you look at the Reds lineup, let's say they go with Hamilton number one, they go with Votto number two. I would think Phillips would be batting third in the order. Then you've got Mesoraco batting fourth. Do you go with Frazier or Bird at number five? I'd go with Bird. Uh, I think it's going to give him better pitches to hit. Uh, but I'm not so sure that uh, you know Mesoraco is going to be four. Uh, he could be five. You, you have a lot of, uh, of moving parts in that lineup, and it, it, it all revolves around Bruce. Now, you, you haven't had Bruce. Where do you have Bruce hitting? Sixth or seventh. Okay. I mean, this is a guy who several years ago was going to be your lockdown number three hitter, and now you've got him down at seven. I mean, that, that tells you and tells all of us the decline of his skill set so far and that we are even contemplating the fact that this guy could hit number seven in that lineup. Now, does that mean it's a really good lineup? Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good lineup. But I, I don't see Phillips as number three. I, I think he's going to be lower down there. He can't run anymore. Uh, he's not going to steal you any bases. So I would probably have Phillips at <clears throat> number six or number seven. And that's presuming that you have Bruce producing higher in the lineup. I would be surprised if... Brandon Phillips' ego would allow him to hit sixth or seventh. Well, unless you're going to produce more than he produced last year, and again, he was injured, 
uh, and he's getting older. He doesn't run anymore. He, he did not steal a base last year. This is a guy who stole 30 bases, what, three years ago. Mm-hmm. So he, defensively, he's super, and I think he'll remain that way. But I, I don't I don't think that team can win if you have Brandon Phillips hitting third. Well, as far as the Indians are concerned, I think their lineup, the only, the only question mark that they've got in their lineup is who is going to be batting number two. My feeling is if Nick Swisher is able to start the regular season, he'll be the number two hitter in the DH spot, mainly because he's a switch hitter. Um, my feeling is is that they are not going to go with Bourne, Kipnis, Brantley, Santana, and Moss, only because out of that, all of them hit left-handed. Now, sure, you've got Santana that bats is a switch hitter. So, I mean, you look at that, and, you know, right there, Swisher's going to be a switch hitter. So that's why I'm figuring him at number two. If they don't go with Swisher, then they probably will go with Gomes. But I've got Brantley batting third, Santana fourth, Moss fifth. Then you've got Chisenhall that is going to bat sixth, along with Kipnis, if he's down in the order, at seventh. And then you've got your... your uh, uh, Right fielder, or that, that's going to be that's going to be Moss. Uh, so then that leaves you uh, your DH. Let's see, you've got your center fielder. Boy, I'm thinking that thinking about this right on the go. And then you got your shortstop, who will be Ramirez. Maybe. Yeah, and and Swisher could be batting down in the down in the order too. So I think the Indians lineup. The only thing you've got to worry about is who's going to bat number two, and then the rest of the lineup. Will fit in. Well, that, that's a strong a strong lineup, and you know any any lineup offensively can become strong when you have starting pitching that's limiting the other team to only two or three runs a game. So you don't need a lot of offense when you have that kind of starting pitching. And the Indians, do you think? Would you rate them in the top three in the in the American League? In the American League, see ESPN keeps saying that the Indians are the fourth best team in Major League Baseball. And I have a real difficult time with that. I thought you were going to ask me if they were the third best team in the American League Central. Now, I would say yes. Do I think they're the third best team in the American League? There are still too many question marks, Mark, on this team to, to lead me to believe that they are the third best team in the American League. I don't think right now they're as good defensively as Baltimore. I don't think they're as good a hitting team. I definitely know they're not as good a defensive team. Toronto has made a lot of improvements. Now, I know each and every year we go into a season expecting Toronto to do something, and they never do, but they've made a lot of improvements this year that I think are really going to put them near the top. You've got Boston that has made a lot of improvements. But I don't think those improvements that Boston made is really going to bring them up to the top three in the American League East. As far as the Central is concerned, I think Kansas City lost a lot in Jamie Shields uh, going to San Diego. I think you know Detroit lost a lot in Max Scherzer, but they've got David Price. You know What goes on there in the... In the West Division, you've got Seattle that's pretty good. You've got the Angels that are pretty good. So I guess that's a convoluted way of coming back to saying 
No, I don't think they're in the top three in the American League, but I definitely think they're in the top five with the caveat that they've got the potential to be in the top three in the American League. Well, I, I think they're. we've been doing this for five years now. I think of the five years that we've been on the air, this has been the going into the season. This has been the most encouraging uh, development of, uh, for the Indians since yes. we've been doing this. Uh, they, they, this team has a chance to win the division. That, that's no joke. We have been saying we hope they win or they could win in the past or they have potential or whatever, but this team is solid. And I, I don't think Detroit is to be feared as much as everybody says. They're getting much older, and they, they lost uh, some, some key players last year. And <clears throat> who was the center field, fielder they traded? Jackson. Jackson. I mean, I think they, they lost – one of the the keys to that team last year, and I, from what I could see, they did not recover from that, uh, either defensively or offensively. He was a real catalyst for that team. I agree with you. Yeah, you know, a lot of people didn't realize Mark how how much he meant to that ball club until he was gone. Yeah, yeah, and you know, some of these leadoff guys <clears throat> can really set up the you know the the three, four, and five hitters, not just because they get on base, but because it makes the pitcher pay attention to them. And when Jackson was always on base, the guy's pitching out of the stretch. They're worried about him stealing. Uh, you know, you make one mistake to the, that, those three, four, and five hitters in Detroit, and you're in serious trouble. And when he left, that team uh, went into a funk. So right now, and I think I can be more objective about the Indians than you sometimes, I would put the Indians as number one in the Central, and that's saying a lot because with the improvement of the White Sox, the, the resurgence of the of the Royals, with Detroit being there, the only weak team I see is Minnesota. Uh, I think the Indians are the team to beat. Uh, I, cer- I certainly hope you're correct. As far as the National League Central, when I look at that one, Mark, you know, it's a very tough division. I think Pittsburgh has peaked. What do you think about them? You know... If you're looking for a team for the Reds to beat this year, to finish below the Reds, I think it's Pittsburgh. I think they've had two good years, two good runs. Uh, I'm not so sure they're as deep as everybody says they are. And uh, if the Reds are going to be reasonably successful this year, and don't forget, was it two years ago, they finished third and got in the playoffs. Uh, I think they could beat out Chicago because Chicago is not yet proved that all the young players are going to be the studs everybody says they're going to be. Right. I, think, I think they can beat Pittsburgh. Uh, it would be interesting, the opening series against the Pirates, that it may be a precedent-setting series early on. But <clears throat> that I think the National League Central is the best division in baseball. You may disagree, and I, I think I could argue with myself and say the, the National League West now you know, may be a, a better division or as good. But top to bottom, there's no weak teams in the Central. No, I agree with you. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Mark, that from, from one through five, the National League Central is the best division. You can't even take into consideration the West because of Arizona and Colorado. They're, they're not in the same league with San Francisco, the Dodgers, and the Padres. Exactly. <clears throat> and even with them now, you've got Tulo and uh, their outfielder coming back from injury, uh, Gonzalez. I mean, they're, they're tough. Colorado can hit, but you're right. They're not. They don't have the pitching. But 
the National League Central, they're going to be a nightmare for anybody to play. To come, you know, you go on a trip. The guys coming from the West Coast come in, into the Central Division, and you got to go through Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, St. Louis. Uh, you know, that, that that's a tough road trip for anybody. And yeah. now, now with the Cubs better, <clears throat> you, you don't have an easy trip anywhere into the Central. I mean, the, the Reds play the Brewers seven times in the first month. They play the Cardinals and the Cubs six times. They play the Pirates three times. And out of their first 23 games, 22 of them are against National League Central teams. And if you recall, Mark, last year we talked about just what a monster the Reds' April schedule was, and if they could get out of it 500 or above, they'd be doing pretty well. And that's the same thing this year. Yeah, that's because, as we've just been saying, that division is so tough. But uh, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of, because there's a lot of parity, I don't see anybody running away with that division, which means if you have good pitching and you can hang in there into the you know the warm weather months, you're going to be competitive and you got a shot. And what you don't want to do is lose seven or eight games in a row in April and be out of it, you know, by Mother's Day. It, it, that's not what you want to do. No, as far as as far as the Indians are concerned, Mark, they're going to play the Cubs, the Royals, and the A's this week in Arizona in spring training. But they're going to open up the same day that the Reds do on April sixth. But they're going to open up in Houston for a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday series, and their home opener will be April tenth against the Tigers. So in April. The Indians end up playing six games each with the Tigers, five games with the White Sox, four with the Royals, and of the Indians' first 21 games, 12 of them are going to be on the road. When I looked at the first two months of the Indians' schedule, Mark, if they come out of the first two months and go into June with a 500 record, I think they're ready to go. Yeah, that's kind of exciting. I, I think with the... You know, the, the teams playing, I'd love to see those games in September with division teams. I mean, that to me is, is the fun part of the season. And when you had teams playing out of division in, in, the, in, in September, that made no sense to me at all. But, uh, you know, I think we're in for an exciting division races in, in both central divisions. And I'd be real surprised if the Reds and Indians are not competitive well into the, the summer months. I, I don't know if they'll be able to sustain it particularly the Reds, but I think they've got enough going for them that uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, big series coming up throughout the summer this year, and that makes the baseball season exciting. Mark, this summer the All-Star Game is being held in Cincinnati, too. What is What are some of the goings-on around Cincinnati for the All-Star Game? Well, they're, they're going to have a lot of, uh, of stuff happening down there before, uh, even three or four days before, the All-Star break. There's going to be different uh, events you can attend at, at the Hall of Fame, and there are going to be on-field events uh, for kids and, and for, for, for all of us to go down there and partake of. But it's a big deal, and uh, it, it's it's going to be kind of depressing if the Reds are out of it at the All-Star break. And you, you say, well, the highlight of the season was the All-Star game in Cincinnati. I hope that's not the case. Uh, but, you know, the, the Reds... Uh, always put on a good show. It's always professional, and people will will have a good time. I, I, the thing I hate about the All Star Game now is that damn home run hitting contest. Oh yeah, I think it is so boring. If three and a half, four hours of guys, you know, hitting the ball 450 feet, so what? You've seen one, you've seen them all. I wish they had more skills competition. 
you know, guys throwing from center field into a, a garbage can or something, you know, at home plate. You know, who has the fastest first to third run or something like that? That would be fun. Or, you know, having, you know, something that would be uh, maybe the triple-A the All-Stars play the double-A All-Stars or something like that. I, I don't know. It's so overdone now. It was fun the first couple of years. To me, it's not fun anymore. Well, to let you know what happened today, the Indians lost to Seattle 4-3 to in the bottom of the ninth inning. The Reds split squad. They tied Colorado 2-2 two to two today, and they defeated. Uh, they won their, their second game uh, in a split squad over the Los Angeles Angels 7-5 to on a three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth. So the Reds won that one. We really don't care what the records are as far as spring training is concerned. But, Mark, before we leave the air, I want to ask you about a couple of things as far as outside of the Reds and the Indians in Major League Baseball is concerned. Josh Hamilton, you followed his career well. He started out with Cincinnati. He he had a relapse. Do you have any thoughts about what's going on with him? I think that's one of the saddest stories in baseball is Josh Hamilton. I, I, don't, I don't remember. I saw him play, I think, opening day down in Cincinnati when he came up with the Reds after the, clubs, the Cubs claimed him and the Reds made a trade to get him. And I saw in the first, I don't know, 10 or 12 games, I have never seen talent like that in my life. Now, there may be older guys that remember, you know, Willie Mays coming up and Hank Aaron and Stan Musial and all those things. But from an athletic perspective, I've never seen anybody better than Josh Hamilton was. And what he must have done to his body with those drugs and with the alcohol, even prior to signing I think what's happening is it's coming home to roost. And you can't do that to your body and perform at a major league level and maintain any kind of, you know, any kind of, of talent level. Uh, I think it's sad. I don't, I have not heard yet. Maybe they announced it. I didn't see it. What his punishment is going to be. They haven't said yet. Yeah. And I, I the way I understood it, because he kind of turned himself in, they're going to be lenient with him. But the demons that guy faces, it must be unbelievable because he's got everything. You know, he's got a beautiful wife, a great family. He's got kids. He's making all kinds of money. He's playing baseball, and you can't handle it? I mean, there must be something, obviously there's something that we don't get that would make somebody who apparently has everything throw it all away uh, or risk throwing it all away. It's, it's, it's a very, very sad story. He's 32 and he looks 36. Well, I'm going to say, <clears throat> I think he looks 40, but uh, again, he's he, he was, you know, he looked like he was 23 when he was 16. I mean, he was, he was just so much bigger and stronger than everybody, and that's why he was so great. But uh, it's, it's a, I don't know, it's a sad story, and uh, I don't think there's going to be a happy ending here. Rob Manfred is the new commissioner of baseball. What do you think about what he will do to the game? I, you know, so far I really liked his openness about things, uh, considering reducing the schedule to 154 games. Uh, considering, yeah, I'll talk about Pete Rose coming back into baseball. Uh, yeah, let's discuss it. Uh, he, he seems open-minded, which is what I like. That you know, somebody who's not going to sit in a corner and no, Pete, you can't play, and I can't tell you why, but you can't play. I mean, that was Seelig's attitude to me anyway about Pete Rose but the fact that he's open to these suggestions about speeding up the game all those things uh, so far so good in my book Mark 
this is our fifth year. I'm going to put you on the spot. <clears throat> what do you remember most about the, fo- the the previous four years that we've done this show? How you've been wrong so many more times than me. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm never wrong. <laughs> that, that comes just crashing back to me that uh, uh, some of our debates about steroids and stuff like that. And I, I just say, well, he's really cute, but he's really wrong. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't dwell on it. I just say the poor guy doesn't know the errors of his ways. But, Dave, in seriousness, it, it's been a lot of fun, and you and I have a lot of fun on this thing. And we hope the fans enjoy it and uh, that we can give them some insight about the Reds and the Indians. And uh, it'll be a heck of a lot more fun if both teams are competitive this year. Definitely. Now, we're going to get into more of this next week. But very quickly, Mark, talk. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes here before we have to leave. Talk a little bit about the search for Dylan Michael. Yeah, it's uh, we're starting uh, our first tryout, and those of you who don't know, I wrote a book, Lasted Bat, and the lead character in there is called Dylan Michael, and he is a young player, I would say like Mike Trout. He gets himself into trouble, and people think he's been killed. Uh, he wasn't. But So we're looking at for three young men to play Dylan Michael at, at various age, ages in his life, and we're having tryouts, actual live baseball tryouts, to find Dylan Michael, and we're starting those in Dayton, Ohio, uh, in late April. The date will be announced later this week, and we have a great facility. For those of you who are interested, uh, we're going to be at U.S. Action Sports, and that's a great facility in Dayton. And for those of you who want to look at what we're doing, go to lastatbatthemovie.com, and I'll explain everything we're doing. And we think it's exciting, and uh, we can't wait to get started. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. You're absolutely right. We can't wait to get started. Well, we got started tonight on our fifth year, and we'll be back next Monday night. So we'll talk to you next week, Mark. Take care, David. You too, Mark. That's going to do it for tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Thank you so very much for joining us here this evening. Glad to have you along. We'll be back next Monday night for another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue. I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us tonight, everybody. Good night. These kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke.